On today's Locked on Jayhawks, going to be joined by Nick Schwert. Coming back on the show here, we're going to be talking some KU basketball, little KUK State, and another whose stat line is it anyway, all on today's show. You are Locked on Jayhawks, your daily podcast on the Kansas Jayhawks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Derek Johnson. You can hear me as well. Rock Chalk Sports Talk, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 on KLWN Lawrence. With Nick Schwert, you can hear him on Cody and Gold in the, I guess, morning to afternoon, 10 to 2 on 610 in Kansas City, and also the Wave in the Wheat podcast. And uh, on today's edition of the show, which you can subscribe to anywhere you get your podcasts or on YouTube as well, we're going to be talking a little KU basketball, taking kind of an inventory check five games through the Big 12 season. We're going to get to a little KUK State talk with game happening later tonight as of uh, the release of recording here. And then a little finish up with a fun segment whose stat line is it anyway. Uh, so first up, just doing kind of an inventory check here. Five games through Big 12 play. We're past kind of the quarter mark of, of the action here. And uh, basically to this point, like what are the biggest positives? What are the biggest worries that maybe we've learned through the different five Big 12 games? Uh, I, I want to start in the positive. I, I think for me, um, I guess just KJ Adams in general is probably like the biggest individual positive that you've seen established to this point in time. But um, I think from a team perspective, I would say that they had a bunch of turnovers. I think it was 11 in the first half of the Oklahoma State game. Since that point, I think you had one in the second half. You had, I want to say, 12 or 13 against Tech, 12 or 13 against West Virginia. Same number Iowa State. Like you've done a good job taking care of the ball against a bunch of defenses that do a good job of forcing turnovers. So for you, what what sticks out as far as just kind of an inventory check as maybe the biggest positive through the first five Big 12 games? It's it depends on if I'm if I'm thinking about the beginning of the season or if I'm thinking about like what I was thinking about this team heading into conference play. Before the season, the big question mark was who's going to be the big guy? Where is the production going to come from down low? Who is going to emerge and sort of steal that that starting five spot? Well, that's answered resoundingly with KJ Adams. Like I agree with you. That has been the biggest surprise of the season. And what's so cool about it is that just when you are feeling like this is the cool story, it gets cooler because as the games go on, he is getting better. You and I talked, you know, I'm a big proponent, a big, uh, I'm a big fan of KJ and from the beginning of the season, it was clear he was going to have a role on this team because he had something that you could say about him that you couldn't anybody else on the team because he was, you know, active defensively. He was crashing the glass, crashing the offensive glass. He moves the ball. Well, offensively, he's decisive when he gets the ball. I can't say that about any of the other bigs for KU. And the fact that he is not just, sort of established himself as that guy. It's not because of default early in the season. It was like, well, I guess he's just going to be the guy since nobody else can emerge. Now it's, oh, he's the guy because he's a really good basketball player and he's becoming an efficient scorer. He's becoming a good free throw shooter. He's named the big 12 player of the week. That to me is the biggest thing. I think as an aside, since we're coming off the Iowa state game, which I think was Grady Dick's best game in a Kansas uniform, you can look at the raw numbers. Those were impressive, 21 points. The reason to me why it was his best game is because you're, you saw him, I think, for the first time this year, not defer to other guys on the court. You saw him say, 
I'm going to look for my shot. I'm going to hunt for my shot. And he needs to do that if Kansas wants to be a national title contender. I know he's a freshman, and there's a learning curve that comes with that, and you're playing with a bunch of upperclassmen, guys who have experience. But Grady is the 1B to Jalen's 1A, and you can't have your second scoring option on a team that really only has four scoring options deferring to other guys because he feels like that's his place as a freshman. Grady sort of understanding what this team needs, and this team needs him to be an alpha scorer, I think is a huge, huge step for Kansas. Now the question becomes, is that just a one-off? Is he just going to revert back to the next game all of a sudden, taking four or five shots and waiting to get open? Or can he continue to sort of push that mindset of, I'm going to attack, I'm going to look for my shot? Because as good as this offense has been, as efficient as they've been, he needs to continue doing that. Yeah, I think those are those are t- totally fair. If we move over to the negative stuff, it's funny. I was putting together this list, and I ended up with more negatives than positives, which I think that just speaks to sometimes we, we overdo it with KU basketball, and it's like, oh, well, uh, they're just living on these margins. But realistically, it has been more positive than negative to this point in time, and they're probably ahead of where they were last season. doesn't mean they'll finish ahead of where they did last year the same, but um, to this point in time, they, they probably are ahead. But the biggest negatives for me, it's it's one, the no bench, although I don't know how much that really matters because a lot of teams play a short rotation in March. Um, I, I think the two big ones that jump off the page to me, lack of two-point shooting. So they are ninth in the Big 12 right now, shooting under 46% on two-point shots. Jalen Wilson, Grady Dick, Dewan Harris, Kevin McCuller, they are all shooting below 38% on two-point shots in Big 12 play. Maybe that's something that just like the Oklahoma game where they missed a billion layups was the reason why. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, But the other part of this is, and I'm curious your take on this part of it, like they've needed all these comeback wins. You you look at down 15 at half against Oklahoma State. You look at being down 10 with five minutes left against Oklahoma. You look at some of the late game heroics you might have needed against Iowa State or late game heroics that you uh, have needed in a lot of these games. Does that worry you at all? Is that is that stuff that is not sustainable for you, or is it just different because of how good the Big 12 is and you almost expect every game to where the difference probably for a lot of these teams is just going to be how much you execute or don't execute down the stretch? Derek, did you, uh, did you watch the Vikings game against the Giants on Sunday? Yes. And you know that the Vikings had a negative point differential in the regular season. You know that they won, I think it was 13 games by one score or less. And everybody kind of wondered, like, can this, is this just the way, is this just who they are? Is this a part of their identity? Can they just do this? No, you can't do that all season long. You need to find ways to put teams away. Now, yes, the Big 12 is the best conference in basketball, but there need to be a few games where maybe you kind of distance yourself from the competition. So no, it's not sustainable, But if you want to look at it half or glass half full, I would rather have the ability to close out those games than not have it. So it's nice that you have that tool in your bag. You'd prefer not to have to use it every single night out. We do this every year. The Big 12 is a gauntlet. Oh, nobody's having, nobody's as battle tested against. All of that can be true. But if you're a national championship contender and you're in a conference that I don't believe has another night, like I don't think there's another Final Four team in the Big 12. I think they might have 10 teams that could be amongst the top 50 in the country, 
But I don't think there's anybody besides Kansas. We'll see about Texas and who knows, maybe Baylor goes on a late season run. But I don't think anybody quite has the talent to compete for a Final Four the way that Kansas does. So you need to find ways to sort of put teams away. To the two-point shooting that you brought up, oddly enough, I think that that's going to be rectified by opening things up from deep because this isn't a team that takes very many threes. And I feel like what you're seeing right now is guys, aside from Jalen, who lack confidence or in the case of Grady, like they're like going back to the aggression, it's almost like he's waiting to be wide open, which you're never going to be because every single team is trying to take that away from you. So if you're never going to get those open looks from the perimeter, what we saw in like 2018 and guys like Devontae and Malik have talked about it since then is Bill Self told him before the season, I want you guys taking a thousand shots from 30 feet every day because the, he knew that teams were going to try and take that away. So what do you do? Take two steps back, take three steps back because the second they start guarding you out there, it's going to open up everything inside. And until Kansas does that, because McCuller's never going to be a great shooter, Harris, while he can have his spots, he's not a great shooter. Jalen is who he is. He's improved, but he's not a knockdown shooter. A lot of that onus is going to fall on Grady, and that may be unfair, but you, we're talking, we're nitpicking here. You're right, Derek. We do have a tendency to be more negative than positive, but that's what you do with great teams because you're not comparing them to yourselves. You're not comparing them to other Big 12 teams. You're comparing them to national championship contenders, and the margins are razor thin. So if you want to just get a little bit better, if you want to talk about this team going from being the third best team to the best team, it is about opening up that offense. And that does put more pressure on Grady to be aggressive from the outside. Because if you know if that happens, guys start defending you farther out, opens up driving lanes, open up opportunities for guys like Jalen and KJ inside. And that is going to be what ultimately takes Kansas to the next level. It may be unrealistic and they may not achieve it. But if you're talking about the questions, the answers lie on this team. It's just putting a lot of pressure on a, on a really young but really talented kid in Grady. I want to talk some KUK State in just a second. First, this episode brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, you've got to try a Built Bar. They're so delicious, and you won't think they're good for you because they're made with 100% real chocolate, but and, and they come in unbelievable flavors, churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how they do it, though, but they are healthy. Only 130. Four grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about making your order at for built bars at built.com. But now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club too. Just head to the nearest Walmart today, walk up to the pharmacy section, grab yourself a box of built bars. You can pick up a four box of chocolate or coconut puffs. Most of Sam's Club run in. They have the 13 bar boxes there with hit flavors like brownie batter and churro with built bar. So KU takes on K-State on uh, Tuesday night. And the first thing that it's just the point guard matchup, Noel, who has looked like one of the best players in the Big 12 so far this season. We saw Noel get into the teeth of the defense here in that game in Manhattan, really just kind of pick him up a little more in the second half. Uh, the second game between the two teams last year was Super high scoring, super fun to watch. And both teams run up and down this year. So I think it's going to be an exciting game to watch and, and kind of good product there. But is, is there something, whether it's a player matchup, whether it's just a, a team matchup uh, that sticks out to you about this game, something you think could either determine the result or is just going to be fun for you to watch? Yeah, I'm really excited to see Noel go up against Dewan Harris. You're talking about 
Two of the best point guards in the Big 12, obviously very different stylistically. They're both great distributors. Noel is a more gifted scorer, but uh, we've been hearing for three years now how Dewan Harris is one of the best perimeter defenders in the country. Go earn it, right? Go earn that title against one of the best point guards in the country because that's what Noel is playing like this year. It's not just go earn it as if you can only do it in one game, but think about it, Derek. I mean, you're talking about an in-state rival, a fellow top 15 team, and it's going to be an absolute madhouse of an environment. You win this game and you shut this guy down, you can sort of flex the muscles a little bit and say, okay, like you guys have had a nice little season, but we're still the defending champs and you can, you have the chance to put the clamps on him. I think the same kind of goes for Kevin McCuller because I've told you on this podcast, I think that McCuller is the best perimeter defender that Bill Self has had at Kansas. I, I would put him ahead of Marcus Garrett. I would put him ahead of everyone. I think he's that skilled. So what do you do if you're Bill Self? Are you going to put him all game long and just kind of have him shadow Keontae Johnson around? Do you put him on Desi Sills? Like there's different opportunities to do some different things. I love the versatility of this Kansas backcourt, especially when you bring in a guy like Bobby Pettiford and you've got some options there as well. But just overall, like the matchup, I know this is sort of cheating, but I'm just going to be really interested to see what Bill Self does defensively with those guards and how he kind of mixes and matches those different parts. Yeah, that that's kind of be going to be the underrated matchup. Like they'll talk so much about the point guards, but I think you're right with McCuller and, and trying to get McCuller going on offense too, because that the shot did not look good against Iowa State and they need more from him because when your ceiling is you're a great defender, you're a great rebounder, these little things, we know he's going to be on the court for 30 minutes and everything you talked about with, you know, you only have maybe four scores out there. I think he kind of has to score it a little bit. Well, one thing I, I, I like to do with big games like this, because I, I think it helps when you get to the next day and, you know, the result of the game happened not to overreact or maybe underreact to, to what you did is think back to what reaction could be before it happened. So um, if I asked you this, what do you think the reaction will if Kings versus what will the reaction be? Do you think if they lose? I think if there there is pretty much a no win scenario for Kansas, if they lose, it will be K-State's legit. If they win, it will be K-State's no good. That's it. I mean, what you you're the you're the defending national champs. You have run this conference for two decades, and you're a top five team in the country. You beat your in-state rival, who was a bottom feeder last year and who just got trounced by TCU. It's more of the same. We've seen the story a million times. Every year, it's a different team in the Big Twelve, right? Yeah, Baylor's been a mainstay as of late. West Virginia's sort of up there a lot. But for the most part, Texas Tech's been good recently. A K-State, an Iowa State, a TCU. It's like every year they sort of take their turn. It's like, hey, we're ranked this year. Watch out for us. We're on a tear. And then you go through the rigors of a Big 12 season and you come out on the other side and they're like, okay, well, it's a, they're a five seed. They're a six seed in the NCAA tournament. They had a few upsets, but they also lost some games they shouldn't have. And then they went up against the big dogs of the Big 12. And you sort of, sort of saw where the dividing line is in the conference. So that's all you have the chance to do. You have the chance to show that there is a dividing line between Kansas and everybody else. But I don't think we're going to come away from this game really thinking anything different about Kansas. I mean, do you envision a scenario where we could come away on Wednesday morning and 
and all of a sudden have a completely different outlook on who KU is as a team? No, I don't. Uh, I do think the there's more like upside than downside to this week in general to where if KU beats K-State on Saturday in Allen Fieldhouse, that they're basically going to be saying, yep, Big 12's theirs. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. But man, I I feel like I've I've learned my lesson a time or two before. I feel like the Big 12 is always one in the last two weeks of the season. Like no matter who's, unless KU's in the lead, and they, they usually won't blow it. But like if it's Baylor or West Virginia or Texas Tech, and they've got like a two-game lead with six to play. It was like every single time that happens, they blow it and KU comes back and wins it. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, if you just want to talk about, if you want to put storylines aside and just talk about realistically, what does it do for the Big 12 race? It would be fairly pivotal. But I think for Kansas's sake, You've got such a tough schedule still remaining. I mean, you're only five games in. You still have to play Texas twice. You still have to play Baylor twice. I believe those are the two best, the two of the three best teams aside from Kansas in the Big 12. I, I still think from a talent perspective, Baylor and Texas are ahead of K-State. They're ahead of TCU. They're ahead of Iowa State. So knowing you've got the four toughest games in your schedule still remaining, I just think it's too early to really get into standings talk. But being able to knock off K-State, that would obviously push them down a peg and maybe perhaps eliminate one more team from the conversation. There's things up here with whose stat line is it anyway with locked on Jayhawks. So do you remember how to play this game? You haven't been on the show for a few weeks out of town. Do you remember the rules of the game? Oh, oh, are you talking about, are you talking about the game that I have never gotten a question incorrectly? No, Derek, no. Why don't you refresh my memory on the game that probably should be renamed after me. Call it the Nick Schwartz guess that stat line because that's how much I have absolutely annihilated this game. Yeah, so uh they're going to give Nick a stat line. It could be of uh, an individual game, it could be of a period of time, it could be a pretty, it could be an overall thing, whatever. Any any stat line and he's going to guess who it is. They're okay related. He has not missed yet. I don't know what the record is, but I know you haven't missed. It's a lot to a little like basically. So first something. up we have Big 12 play, uh, 15.8 points per game, 74% on free throws, 10 field goal attempts per game. Who would that be? Why don't you hit me with that one more time? 15 points per game? He is, we got the graphic on the screen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 15.8 points per game. This is in Big 12 play, so just the five Big 12 games. 74% on free throws, 10 field goal attempts per game. Uh, Jalen's scoring has been down the last two games, but I still think he's higher than that. Oh, it's KJ. It's KJ Adams, Big 12 Player of the Week, baby. Because that is, you know, I'll that tell is you KJ what, Adams. I'll tell you what, I actually looked this up uh, last week. I haven't checked in the last after the last two games, but I, I just remember early in the season when he was shooting like 40% from the free throw line and I was watching the game with someone and they said, he's worse than Doak. And since then, yeah, I, I was looking it up and I was like, since then he's shooting like 70 plus percent from the free throw line. So and I think Fran even mentioned it on one of the broadcasts last week. So that was actually the the giveaway for me. Yeah, I, I swear every game he like adds one more thing to his game. I feel like by the end of the season, he's going to be like an All-American or something. Uh, okay, this one is just against Iowa State. He had eight points, three for three from two-point range, so didn't miss a two, and he had five rebounds. Um, Is it Clements? 
That is not Zach. This is your first miss of the year. This would be Kevin McCuller. Yeah, I don't know why I thought that. Clement, I saw Clement score one bucket, and then yeah, that was stupid. That was bad. That one's on me. You know, that's that one's on me. You know, that's like, uh, but see, that's a stub your toe game. But I, I think what it shows is for Kevin, like he still just is impacting the game in other ways. It's just, it, it all comes down to the jump shot. I think both for like his individual career, he want to be an NBA draft pick. You got to hit threes, you know, and he went over five. He had some bad misses. He hits the one off the side of the backboard. It's not that you have to miss all of them or, or make all of them, but when you're wide open in the corner, you got to make a couple of them, you know, and, and that's, that's, I think what this team needs. I think that's what he needs individually because he is doing still everything else. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, but I don't know if that's ever going to be him. I know that there was sort of talk before he got to Kansas, like, Oh, well, he's a better shooter than he showed at Texas tech. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Cause he was there for three years. He had plenty of time to show that he was a better shooter. And that's fine. I still, I love his game. That's just not who he is. And I think we kind of fall into this trap where you think like you project and you say, well, if only like he's got a decent shot and if only he added that, then he would be an incredible. It's just not who he is, but that's okay. Not everybody needs to be a 38% three point shooter. All right, let's see if you can finish up with a win and, and avoid your first ever losing streak. This is in Big 12 play. This player has played two games. He has played four total minutes with zero points and one assist. Hmm. A couple guys come to mind here. I'm between three. I guess guys. I should tell you this is a scholarship player. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay, that's fine. It doesn't change. There's two guys that come to mind, but I'm pretty sure one of them scored a point. I'm going to tell you who I I'm not picking first. The two guys I was between. One of them was Cam Martin, who I'm pretty sure scored in one of those games. Which only leaves MJ Rice. MJ Rice is the correct answer. Back on track. Nice little rebound performance. Yeah. Uh, I, the other one you could have guessed would have been a due day, and that one would have been close, but I think the assist might have given that one away. But both those guys have kind of disappeared. With Uday, I kind of view Has it Uday as like he's just not playing. The other centers are ahead of him. With Rice. Has Uday played behind? No, I, I don't think he has, but like with him. Um, no, I don't think he has. I, I know he hasn't played the last three games for sure. So I, I think that would be the one. But with like MJ Rice, that was our prediction before the season started of if there's going to be a player that ends doghouse. Do you think he is in the doghouse? I mean, I don't know if it's the doghouse. The doghouse would imply you're being punished. We like you, but you're being punished. And so you need to shape up and then we'll start playing you more. I just don't think he fits. I don't, I don't think he's, I don't think he's doing anything right. Like I don't. I don't foresee a future in a month from now where he's playing a significant role on this team unless he completely rethinks like how he wants to play. I'm not willing to like, I'm not saying that I'm going to write him off and say he's not ever going to do anything at Kansas, but also kind of feels like it's, it's heading in that direction. Kind of feels like it's heading towards a see you guys later in the off season so-and-so, we wish him the best, enters the transfer portal, and it's sort of a blip on the radar. And we're like, hey, remember that one guy who played for KU that one year but never played at all? Again, it's a little too early to go there, but, I mean, he hasn't even shown a glimpse of earning the coach's trust at this point. Yep. All right, that's going to do it for this show. Nick getting back uh, with a victory and whose stat line is it anyway? You got anything coming up? Anything you want to plug? 
Yeah, I guess I'll go ahead and plug it right here. Um, we're, I'm going to be talking to uh, KU Athletic Director Travis Goff coming up this week on Wave in the Wheat, and that podcast episode will be available will, wherever you listen to your podcasts on Thursday morning. So check it out. All right, there you go. You can find Nick there and on 610 as well. Appreciate the time, man. Thank you. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the show. You can catch the podcast anywhere you get it. Subscribe on YouTube. Hit us up at D Johnson Radio if you got any questions. See you uh, for tomorrow's episode, and you can catch me on RCST later today. Bye.